Good moaning. Excellent. Uh, let's take a moment to uh, pray, and we'll 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 get into this. Lord, thank you for this uh, morning. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for the growth it causes. Uh, please let this be a uh, a good time. Let it be an encouraging and instructive time. And may you be glorified as we uh, come to better understand the nature and um, the qualities, the unique qualities of your inspired and inerrant word. Amen. Okay, so just to recap, last week we uh, uh, we began, um, th- this chapter is is supposed to be an introduction to the Bible, and what I wanted to do is, uh, before we look at uh, its uniqueness as far as um, revel- uh, special revelation, I wanted to just m- lay a foundation for what revelation is itself is and to, and then we would look at how the bible is is unique uh, amongst the different ways that god has revealed himself last week we looked at two uh, basic kinds of ways that god has revealed himself to us what were they natural revelation which is what yeah god revealing himself through or by Creation, and that's something that is evident to everybody. Um, did it? Uh, does it explain everything about God? Negative, but it does. It does give us a starting place. You look at the vastness of the oceans, or the the the, the sheer magnitude of mountains, or the vastness of space. That tells us something, uh, or, or about you know. You look at quarks and atoms, and um, you know the intricacies of, of, of our biology. That, that tells us something about the design and the intelligence and the wisdom and the power of God. Um, and so, so uh, on the other side, you have uh, opposed to natural revelation, what's the other kind of way that God has revealed himself to us? What was that? Special revelation, yeah. And what's, what advantage does special revelation have over natural revelation? Yeah, direct, specific. Um, and w- what I left off on was how uh, Hebrews 1 says that God has spoken in many ways and many portions through the prophets. And so there were, um, there were if in, in the scripture we see signs and miracles and wonders, we see theophanies, we see different ways uh, that God has revealed himself, um, which is, this is leading us to the scripture. Now, before we really get into this, let's uh, that's, that's, uh, rehearse our memory verse. Last week, Sarah did it, and I think Sam, Sam was, no, Nick. Nick was the one who did it, so... Here is your opportunity to earn some uh, precious, precious chocolate. What is the scripture verse for this t- for this lesson? Very good, very good. Which says what? Who who would like to be bold? I've got a baby Ruth, which is vastly superior. Than the Reese's peanut butter cups. I mean, I'd like to see you in my office after service. Don't be shy. 
either we get volunteers or someone gets voluntold. You know, awkward awkward uh, segments on the recording is is uh, undesirable. So, Justin, what is the what does Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen say? What what are you looking at? Come on, come on, come on. We're we're wasting precious precious time. What is it? Anyone else want to give it a stab? Baby Ruth or Reese's? I am not going to hit a pregnant lady with Reese's. Chivalry is not dead. All right. Okay, so among the different ways that God has revealed himself in special revelation, we have theophanies. Again, that's just a, uh, it's a $5 word. For when God himself shows up. Theos, which is the word for God. Uh, Phineo, which is the word. uh, uh, There are several words, which this is one which means to appear. So God appears. Theophany. Um, And these lists are not exhaustive. Each one could be uh, a study in and of itself. So I'm trying to to give you just a, uh, a survey but we have uh, Adam, we have God walking in the garden. You know, Genesis 3 says that, at, that the man heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Um, we have no idea what he looked like uh, or the physical appearance of, of, of him in that. But in some way, God was physically manifest in some way at the beginning. In Ab- uh, Genesis 18, we have... Um, the three men, whether each one is, is uh, uh, the, whether that's the representative of the Trinity or God and two angels, we really don't know. At least one of them is God because God is speaking to Abraham. Uh, in uh, uh, Genesis 26-2, we have God ap- uh, appearing and speaking to Isaac. In Genesis 32-30, uh, there's uh, God speaking to Jacob. In Exodus 3, 2 through 6, we have the burning bush passage. Uh, We also have uh, uh, God appearing to Moses. I mean, there are many places where God appears to Moses, but 33 and 34 is where uh, Moses goes up on on Mount Sinai to receive the the tablets, and he's with God so closely that his face shone, and and Moses got to see God's backside. Exodus 11, we have God appearing or manifesting to the Egyptians uh, uh, for the purposes of judgment. Remember, he said, I myself will walk among Egypt and strike the firstborn. Um, We have uh, uh, God appearing to the Egyptians and Israel uh, through the pillar uh, of cloud and um, fire. Uh, We have uh, God appearing to Samson's um, parents. Remember, uh, um, the text says that uh, that introduces us to a figure known as the angel of the Lord. But uh, his parents, Samson's parents say, uh, alas, O Lord God, for now I have uh, seen 
uh, we have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, peace, you will not die. Uh, I thought no, I thought they said that we have seen God face to face. You can look that up uh, to confirm that later. Um, oh, no, that was Gideon. That was Gideon. I apologize. Samson's parents are in Judges 13. Where, yeah, 13.22, we will surely die, for we have seen God. So, uh, and, and something to note about, about uh, all of these manners and forms of special revelation, there is, uh, there is a, um, not, I'm not sure if a mischaracterization is the, word, the right word, but there's this assumption, there's this faulty assumption that God was appearing left and right in the Old Testament, that he was, sent, that he was speaking through prophets left and right, that, that there were people doing miracles and signs and wonders left and right, and that's not the case. Um, you, have, you have an abundance of the supernatural in the life of Moses. You have um, some uh, beginning with, with Samuel and David and concluding with the ministry of the prophets. Uh, but there are occasions where hundreds of years pass between things happening. So when God, whether it's God showing up, whether it's God... Uh, Sending a prophet, speaking through a prophet, doing signs and wonders through a prophet. It is, it is meant to be something that is uh, attention-grabbing because it doesn't happen every day. Uh, in addition to theophanies, we have uh, dreams and visions. So this is, instead of God uh, in some way manifesting himself, this is him showing things to, to men that they couldn't otherwise see. And uh, this could be showing them glimpses of the future. This could be um, th- showing them scenes from heaven uh, or scenes that are uh, see, uh, places that are far away. Uh, examples of this would be in Genesis 28 when Jacob sleeps with his head on a rock, which I don't imagine was comfortable, but he is given a vision where he sees a ladder extending to heaven and angels are going up and coming down. In Solomon, in First uh, Kings three five, we have Solomon um, uh, dreaming and speaking with God, and that's where he asks for wisdom. Uh, there's Daniel's night visions in uh, Daniel two, uh, nineteen and twenty eight, and they they uh, have to do with Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, and uh, this shows that sometimes God even gives dreams and visions to people that don't know Him. Uh, we have that with Nebuchadnezzar. We have that with Pharaoh. Uh, uh, we have Joseph's dreams. Yeah, I think he had several dreams, um, particularly in 37.5 where he interprets the, uh, the, the butler and the um, baker's dreams. Uh, in Genesis 40, uh, we have, again, we have Pharaoh's dream. We have uh, Isaiah 6 where this is perhaps a dream and a theophany where Isaiah is recalling, uh, he's recounting when he was called and he had a vision of God. Uh, and interestingly, John 12 tells us that he, that was Christ he saw in Isaiah 6. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, we have Paul, uh, again, not sure if it really happened or if it was a, a vision or a dream, 
that he, he accounts uh, for when he was caught up to the third heaven. And he even says, he, I don't know if this happened in body or if, I, if it was just something I saw. Um, and then there's the entirety, practically the whole entirety of the book of Revelation where John is recounting the things that he saw, the things that, that are and are to come. Then you have miracles and signs. Uh, Noah's flood, Genesis 7. Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19. The burning bush, Exodus 3, not Genesis 3. Uh, the plagues of Egypt, the pillars of cloud and fire, the parting of the Red Sea. And then really the entirety of the ministries of the prophets, the ministry of Jesus Christ himself, and then the ministry of the apostles. And... Uh, What's interesting to note, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul, in defending his ministry, he appeals to the fact that um, among the Corinthians, the signs of a true apostle were, were exercised or were done among them, with the, idea, with the takeaway being that Paul was able to do things in their presence to corroborate or verify his ministry that you don't see happen every day. So... Um, so what is a prophet? Well, we can define one uh, as, as somebody, as, as uh, typically a man. Uh, I don't think there were any, any lady prophets. Well, I think there were a few. Um, who, somebody who speaks for God. And prophecy isn't necessarily always foretelling the future. Sometimes prophets would, would uh, say things that were happen, happening contemporaneously, think at that very moment or within seconds. Sometimes it was things that would happen in the days, weeks, months, years, centuries to come. Sometimes it was saying what God was doing right now. And often it was also uh, recounting or commenting on things that had happened in the past. Uh, the prophets uh, uh, in addition to foretelling the future, one of the chief features of their ministry was kind of to be like a lawyer um, or a mediator and to try to draw the people back to the covenant. Remember the covenant. Remember the oaths that, that your forefathers swore. God, has, God is upholding his end of the bargain. You aren't upholding yours, so come back. Uh, prophets were commissioned by God. You never, ever ever see a man just you know wake up on some tuesday morning and go you know what i don't want to be a farmer anymore i want to be one of them prophets in fact uh you actually see uh often men saying you know being made prophets uh against their wishes no don't send me send send some i'm, I'm not an eloquent man lord you know this send somebody else. send my brother just anybody but me no um, they are always commissioned by God, appointed by God, sent by God. And, really important, they always had a 100% accuracy in their prophecies. They ha I don't know what 100% in baseball, like what a, what a hitting is. Um, you know, I, I remember hearing that like a 3.8 or a, a .38 was supposed to be really good. I, that, anyway, they always had a 100% accuracy rating. And you say, Aaron, where are you getting that from? Well, 
Deuteronomy 18, 21 to 22. This is right after he said, don't, don't listen to things that false prophets say. And God, uh, God anticipates that their question, well, how will we know uh, the, which word the Lord has not spoken? And God says through Moses, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, what? If the thing does not come about or come true, then logical conclusion, what? Yeah, because one of, one, of one of the unique qualities about God is that God never lies, God never oopsies, God never makes mistakes, he knows everything, he knows what's going to happen, and so when he speaks, you can know that what he says is going to happen will come to happen. If somebody comes along and says, Yahweh told me this is what's going to happen, so you better do this, that thing doesn't happen. Well, I guess that person is not a prophet of God. Um, another quality of the prophets and their ministry was that they were always monotheistic. That's another $5 word. Jack is crunching his, his eyebrows, or furrowing his eyebrows. Okay. Well, you know, the front row is about... Okay. I apologize. I will try to fix that. Um, so, monotheistic. Who wants to take a stab at what that means? One God. Excellent. Deuteronomy 18.21 says... But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods. And there was, I actually thought of trying to quote a verse that said, anyone who leads you after other gods, but there are simply too many times where God says in, uh, in the Pentateuch that uh, anybody who leads you towards other gods that person shall die or you shall not go after other gods so this is a even a prophet who speaks in the name of another god that prophet shall die he's he shan't he he shall not be given a second chance he shan't be forgiven or it shan't be uh, uh brushed under the carpet you know and then he, he give it give him a chance to show repentance and to you know uh to make things right and then, you know, restore him to, to, to his op. No, he, does, he says anything in the name of other gods, he's done for. Okay. So Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, we looked at this before. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, we just covered that. There was a, there was a variety of ways that God spoke to the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. And this is showing that uh, Jesus is the greatest prophet of all and that he is fulfilling what Moses said God would do in Deuteronomy 18, 18 to 19. God said, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. He's referring to Moses. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which I shall speak in my name, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. 
So Christ is the greatest fulfillment, uh, is the greatest prophet, because where all the other prophets were basically uh, middlemen, they were messengers, Christ comes with, uh, with the very word of God um, on his lips because he is God. And you remember the, uh, at the end of Matthew chapter 7, the, end, the uh, conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, what were the people amazed with? How did Jesus speak compared to the scribes, compared to the priests and the rabbis? Yeah, Jesus, Jesus didn't appeal or rest his authority uh, upon the shoulders of anybody else. He spoke with authority. So, we, we, we looked earlier, you know, general, general or natural revelation tells us some things about God, but it doesn't tell us everything about God. Does, it, does that mean that special revelation does reveal everything there is to know about God? Can we, can we know God exhaustively because of what he's given us? No. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. There are some things about God that we can't understand yet. And so why would God include that in his revelation to us? That's one of the things I'm looking forward to in uh, eternity to come is uh, spending millions of years learning 0.1% of what there is to know about God. Uh, Romans eleven thirty three. This is this is meant more of as just a um, a sudden outburst of praise, but it's still true. How unsearch the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments? How unfathomable His ways? That means you can you can spend your entire lifetime learning about God. There's still uh, you, you've just barely scratched the surface. Okay. So even though uh, special revelation doesn't tell us everything about God, it is sufficient to lead us to salvation. And these, remember, these are, the, uh, these are the, the goals or the overall intent of this course is to give us assurance of our salvation. Uh, God says that what he has given us in Scripture is sufficient to lead us to salvation. 2 Timothy 3.15 from childhood, he, Paul is speaking to Timothy, you have known the, the sacred writings, that's one of the terms for scripture, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. John twenty thirty to 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples. And, and later on, he would go on to say at the end of his gospel that, uh, he supposes if if everything Jesus ever did were written, you would have to have uh, uh, the Library of Congress times ten or more. To, to uh, he says all the books in the world could not contain all the things Jesus did. So many other things Jesus did. He performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Pur- but here's purpose clause. This is why John wrote the Gospel of John, and really this is why. Uh, all the Gospels were written. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And why is belief so important? That by believing, you may have life in his name. 
in addition to uh, leading us to salvation, special revelation is sufficient to prepare us for the Christian life. What, what, did the, what, what does our memory verse say? As a result of, of having the word of God, the, the man of God is what? For what? For every good word. That means that, means that everything that God has, in, has destined for you to do, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are created uh, in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Everything that God has intended Jack to do, Jack is able to do by knowledge of the scriptures. The scriptures have, have equipped him to be a husband, a father, uh, a, a, a prominent member in the community, a, a director of a, of a Christian camp. Everything that Daniel has been given to do, everything that Charlie has been given to do, everything that Emily Lamborn has, has been given to do, every single good work, she is thoroughly equipped to do it because she has the scriptures at her disposal. Also, Second Peter 1, 2, and 3 says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our, of our, uh, and of Jesus our Lord. And he can say that because he sees that God's divine power has been granted to us, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Where can we find that? Where can we find that divine power that has granted to us everything? It is through the true knowledge of him who called us. Where do we get knowledge of him who called us? Our feelings? The burning in our bosoms? No, the scriptures. And then, this is kind of a, a duh observation. Special revelation helps us know God better. You know, we, we look at the vastness of, you know, you could, um, you could go to Hawaii or any place where the water is, is clear, and you could, you could look down and you could see the depth of, of the ocean. You could stare out into space and see the vastness of space. You could look at Mount Sai or Mount um, uh, Whitney or any of these other giant rocks that God has placed on the earth, and you could get a sense for how big and great and smart and wise and powerful God is. Uh, but there are other things that looking at creation can't tell you. Has God always, you know, what came before God? Will God ever die? Will God, uh, are there other gods? What, what is God like? Is he personable? What, do, what does he like and what does he not like? You can, these are things we can't uh, deduce by looking at creation. But we can by consulting his scripture. So scripture helps us know God better. Okay, so now getting to the uh, origin of the Bible, and we're not, we're not going to finish this today. But that, let me ask you this question. Uh, looking at the inscription of the Bible, how did we get the Bible? So th- th- we're now going to be looking at at the Bible itself as, as a unique and special kind of special revelation. How did we get the Bible? Tell me. So you're saying that men wrote the Bible. Well, you, what kind of pen did he use? 
Okay, okay, okay. Don't ask Justin. Okay, Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. But know this first of all. It, it, with, with Second Peter 3, uh, 16 and 17, this is one I, it is very good for you to know and to write down. Second Peter 1, 20 to 21. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. And I think MacArthur, uh, in, the, in the sermon that um, was assigned for this lesson, he, he spent some time looking at this verse, right? Uh, no prophecy of Scripture is, and you might see the little asterisk. Um, this, is a, this is one place where I actually am not happy with the way the NASB translates it. Um, this is, so a matter is a supplied word by the translators to help make sense. Uh, this is, is not the typical word for is, but it's the word for uh, became, uh, as, as in like to, um, to generate or to create in the way that parents create children. This is, this is to come into being, to be made. Um, so no prophecy of scripture came about or came to be because of one's own interpretation. And then he explains himself uh, for because no prophecy ever uh, was made, that's the same word, by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Why is that window so big? Okay. Okay. Um, I had something in my head a second ago, and I just lost it. Okay. So, so this is uh, speaks to being made or being created. Um, I, think, I can't remember if it's that, but it's certainly moved. Uh, it has the idea of being born, uh, being born along, being carried, being, uh, um, being brought or allowed or granted or produced, being driven, moved, put, or placed, or established. And so what this is saying is that Scripture or any prophecy ultimately was never generated or created uh, by an act of of human will, but rather men, the the men themselves, rather than the scripture being brought along by men, the men who wrote the scripture were brought along or carried or moved or directed by the Holy Spirit. At the same time, they still had a part to play. They're not just puppets. They're not just, um, you know, puppets with, uh, with God, um, you know, uh, they're not automatons. They're not mindless drones. Um, what did they do? They, they, the men, this is the subject, the men did something. What did they do? The men spoke from God, but while they were doing it, they were being moved or carried or brought along by the Holy Spirit. So 
the idea is, is when he says that it, it's no prophecy, uh, it was never an act of one's own interpretation. No prophet ever looked at his events and decided, you know what, I'm going to write scripture. I'm going to write something uh, that is that is going to be included in, uh, in in the in the canon of scripture. But God brought them along and moved them. So, OK, I'm, I'm running out of time. I got to move on. OK, so did <coughs> did men write the Bible? Yes or no? Yes. But because it wasn't their own, their their own private interpretation. It wasn't something that was that originated from them. They are not the ultimate source, but rather it was God, God is the ultimate source. Um, we can we can be confident that they wrote precisely what God gave or moved, or I, I really like this word, superintended them to write. Those of you, those of you who are in management, Jack and Charlie, and perhaps some others. You know what the purpose of a superintendent is. You can give a task to somebody under you and they're doing the work, but ultimately the manager or the superintendent is responsible for seeing the progress and making sure that the final product matches whatever it was intended that the product would be, right? So... Um, and this is something you can do for your for your own study. If you look at the context of this verse, where where Peter is explaining the the nature and the source uh, and the origin of Scripture, he he began in verse sixteen by recounting the time when he was on the mountain and he he, he saw um, he saw the glory of God. Uh, radiate from Christ. He he heard the voice of God say, "This is my beloved Son. Listen to him." Um, you know, again, that's not something that that people saw every day. Uh, in today's charismatic movements, that would that would something like that would be uh, a claim to authority. You know, I saw God. I heard His voice. You need to listen to what I have to say. That could have given Peter it's, itself. That could have given Peter clout or grounds to, to really be somebody in the church. But notice what he says in, um, uh, I don't have it here in front of me. He says uh, in verse 19, what does he say? But we have the what? what? What is more sure? We have, but you have the prophetic word made more sure. Peter had this great experience this great spiritual religious experience, one-of-a-kind experience. Peter could appeal to that, but what does he appeal to? What does he say is better for you and for me to, to heed, to look to? Religious experiences, the prophetic word. Okay. Uh, just looking, just a, a few... Um, uh, things to know about the inscription of Scripture. It di didn't take place overnight. It took uh, approximately 1,600 years to complete. Uh, it began approximately 1,500 B.C. and was wrapped up with the writing of Revelation. We don't know exactly what year. Uh, I think 95 A.D. Is a, is a pretty good estimation. Forty different authors. We have Moses... We have David and several other psalmists. Uh, most of the prophets are presumably wrote the books that bear their names. 
um, with the New Testament, um, mostly uh, either directly written by the apostles, Peter, uh, Peter or Paul, few who are closely associated with them, such as Luke and Jude. And here's something that, that catches people by surprise. There are several books in the, in the scripture that we don't know who was the author. Uh, uh, such as Hebrews um, and several of the uh, uh, several of the Old Testament books, there are 66 books in all, 39 in in your English Bibles, but there are 24. I got that wrong. There are tw- oh no, I put an asterisk. There's 24 books in the Hebrew Old Testament. Why is that? Yeah, we have First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel. The, he, the the Jews just have Chronicles, Samuel, Kings. So that uh, and then uh, the the minor prophets uh, are were on, are considered one book called the Twelve. So that that brings it down to twenty four, and we have twenty seven in the New Testament. No original manuscripts, uh, which is the the first one. That was written. The, the the one that itself was inspired and inerrant. None of those exist today. But we can reliably know what the original manuscript said. And I'm going to try to say this as succinctly as I can. Everybody knows how telephone works, right? The game of telephone. Okay. There are two over 200,000 partial and complete manuscripts in existence today. You would you would expect. That if this was any other piece of literature, uh, after millennia passing by with 200,000 copies, uh, you would expect them to be wildly divergent in what they say. And yet, there is uh, no doctrinal discrepancies uh, among, among the, uh, the, the manuscripts that have been found. And we can verify that by, uh, when the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls were uh, recovered in, I think, 47 in a cave about eight miles south of Jericho. Those scrolls have been uh, dated from about the second or third century B.C., and they are completely uh, uh, accurate with what we have in the Old Testament scriptures today. So what, what we have today uh, has shown to not change or not diverge from the scriptures that the that the Jews had in Jesus' time. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's wrap up there. Um, I do want to show you this. If you have any questions. Oh, Aaron. At, there we go. Uh, like I said, I do want, uh, I, I think I bit off more than I could chew today. Uh, I, I, I do intend for this to be uh, conversational. I, w- I, I do want you to ask questions. I want, you know, if there's something that is um, puzzling or, or you know, I, w- I want to address that. So uh, it, it's good if it would help me if you uh, send me questions ahead of time so that I could try to work them into the lesson. But I want you to raise your hands, uh, make observations, ask for clarification. Um, if it's something that would benefit the group, I'd like to spend some time on it. So before we wrap up, are, are there any questions for today over anything that's, that we've gone over?
the, the word... So the, the, the word for Bible uh, comes from the word for scroll or book, like, bi- like bibliology is, is what books were used, what resources were used for this work. Um, over time, it became known as the book. And uh, what's interesting is uh, in, uh, in Islam, Christians and Jews are referred to as people of the book. So we're, we're, we're book people. Uh, so I have a question concerning the ma- original manuscripts that were included in the Bible. Um, there are certain manuscripts that weren't included, but yet they kind of hold some sort of spiritual truth to them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some of them are silly, like... Are you referring to the apocryphal books, or are you referring to uh, the cl- the clues that we, uh, or the references to like other letters that were written by the apostles that um, weren't included? Either one is. I just know why. I'm just wondering: is it okay for us Christians who kind of look to those other books for inspiration? I mean, I've heard of stories of saints and stuff like that that sound kind of inspirational, though they might not have so much correlation to whatever Christ is saying or Bible principles or such. I still think maybe in some way they are still helpful today. I'm just, what are your thoughts on that? I would say um, if you are very well grounded in what the scriptures, in the scriptures themselves, then go ahead. But the the danger is, is if you're not well grounded, you may be influenced by them and not know when and where you should stop. And that, that's that's precisely what happened with the apocryphal writings. They were they were considered uh, very early on. Uh, it was understood they weren't scripture. They were considered helpful, so they were included in. And then over time, um, people began to look at them as being inspired. So, okay. The the apocryphal books, yes, there are there are, uh, and we're going to look at this next week. But yes, they, there are pro, there are doctrinal problems with them. So, at the end of the day, I would say, I mean, sh- sure you could, but why? Why when when you have when you have uh, the gold of scripture, when you have the prime rib of scripture, why would you settle settle for the Big Mac of the apocryphal books? Yeah, it, it, you know, I don't want to be legalistic and say, you know, how dare you read Tobit or the Maccabees or whatever. But at the end of the day, why, why would you want to? You know, if, if you're if you're curious what they say, go ahead. But anything else? I don't I don't see John Lepron yet. So I mean, we could keep. Oh, whatever. What did you? Who, Right. Um, there are there are several places we could we could go to look at that. And um, let me. I don't have a pen. Can someone write that down and give it to me to 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 touch on that? Okay.
yeah. Um, there, uh, when you consider the fact that um, the New Testament itself is considered to, uh, it is closely associated or built upon the authority of the apostles. That was um, in, in, in our church history study that we did last year, we looked at how uh, the early church used the, that as the criteria for what was scripture and what was not. If it was, if it was written by an apostle or someone who was so stinking closely associated with the apostles, you know, such as Luke, who was Paul's traveling companion, um, then that was grounds or that warranted it being accepted as scripture and prophetical and authoritative. Somebody who came along 50 years later who has no tie, you know, he, they didn't travel with the apostles and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's like what the gospel of Judas is and all these other supposed gospels is they have no tie, uh, no, no correlation, no association with the apostles themselves. And so, um, the apostles have died off, you know, God hasn't sent anymore. Um, he hasn't verified through signs and wonders that he's sent any more apostles. So why, why should we consider authoritative what these other people are writing? So yeah, no more apostles, no, no more prophecy, no more, no more scripture since, uh, and then you also look at, um, the, just the, the theme of Revelation seems to be, it seems to be a conclusion, which is what I should probably do right now and conclude. Okay. Lord, thank you for this morning. Please, uh, please bless uh, uh, Pastor John Lepron as he preaches today. Um, Lord, glorify yourself through the exposition of your word and build up your people. Amen.